Welcome to Diversity Conversations, where we engage in thought-provoking dialogue to identify leadership solutions to today's most challenging conflicts. Stream live each week, Saturday, 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m., hosted by diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist and CEOs Eric Ellis and Tommy Lewis. Join us and add your voice to this engaging diversity conversation. Good morning, Cincinnati, America, and the world. I am Tommy Lewis, president and CEO of Make It Plain Consulting, and welcome to another edition of Diversity Conversations. As you can plainly see, I am by myself right now, but hopefully not for long. My good friend and co-host Eric Ellis is uh, in transition and he's uh, trying to get plugged in. We are on the road, both of us this morning, but we're happy to be with you. So Eric is uh, in one part of the country and I'm in another part of the country and we are co constantly serving our, our clients, our customers and the communities that we serve. And in this, I would like to say that I'm going to invite uh, earnestly our community to chime in this morning and share your thoughts, your insights, your expertise. We will be talking about psychological safety at work, in the workplace, at home, or even in our community, psychological safety. So let me just start by sharing a little bit about my week as we prepare for Eric to join us if he can and when he does. So this week, I had a great opportunity to continue to work with a number of clients, uh, whole clients, clients that are, you know, five, 10,000, sometimes over 100,000 employees, as well as working with individuals in the executive coaching space. When I work with individuals and have been working with individuals in the executive coaching space, oftentimes it's around three different areas. First, psychological safety. Regardless of the level that the people are in, there's always an opportunity to engage them at their level, right? And then secondly, looking at how to engage folks in their role and responsibilities. And that's part of that psychological safety, keeping them safe. And then how to perform at, the, at their most optimal level, right? Because there's one thing, as we have our good friend Eric joining us, there, there's one thing about life is it will always throw you a curveball. Life will always throw you a curveball and it never fails. But this psychological safety is important that we're not hijacked by the happenings of life. The happenings of life. So, as you can plainly see, my brother, <laughs> Eric Ellis, and Eric has jumped from, from one office space to another office space right. and now in the, the mobile office space. Eric, good morning. Hey, hey, we are travel, put it in the suitcase and carry. Just hopped off the plane, man, and here in Fayetteville, North Carolina, man, and just happy to join you, Tommy. Uh, so good to see you, man. Now, where are you at this morning? I'm in uh, Durango, Colorado. Okay. Durango, Colorado, first time out here, uh, but out here meeting with a client for the first time and uh, heading back home to Cincinnati in about four hours or so. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Outstanding. How was your week? Week was good. Week was good. I was sharing that uh, working with our clients, working with the our individual executives, man, really, you know, helping some folks uh, have a, uh, a a safe space to speak their truth, 
Right. In, in other words, Eric, we've been working with folks at the highest level, you know, CEO, sometimes chairman or chairpersons of the board of trustees. But at, it doesn't matter what level you are. People are are still trying to wrap their arms around the new new reality. So this week it was great preparing for that. Uh, I, I do want to give a quick shout out for those in the Cincinnati area. If you are someone that you can spare an hour or two uh, to partner with Make It Plain Consulting and one of our clients, it's the Metro bus system. Uh, we serve as Metro's street team. Okay. And so what that means is there's certain events that happens and we simply pass out the information. This week coming up, Eric, is Metro bus is giving out free bus passes to beat these high gas prices. Okay. So if you have a vehicle or not, and you want to kind of get to your destination without the worry of having to focus on traffic or having to you know deal with anything in your vehicle, just sit back, relax, and take a ride. We need a couple of people on Monday the 21st and Tuesday the 22nd of March in the morning uh, to simply greet the, the customers and greet folks. Excellent. Uh, and so I'll share a little bit more about that at the end of our show today so people can reach out to me directly. Um, and, and this is not volunteer work, right? This is a this is work that we are compensated for. But we want to invite some folks. We just need two or three people each day in the morning, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, right. Pass that out and then be about your business. So that's how the week was trying to ramp up some more opportunities for people. That's good, Tommy. Tommy, this was an interesting week for me, as they all are. Uh, we, uh, uh, my alma mater, Wright State University, was in the NCAA tournament, and they won their first round game against Bryant. I had never heard of Bryant though, <laughs> but no matter what, we still won the game. And then we ran into the bus of Arizona last night, and they, uh, you know, they did decent. Uh, I think they lost by about 17 points, but uh, played a competitive game. So you know, just really pleased at the alma mater man, the progress that they're making, the fact. That that those young men got a chance to participate in the NCAA tournament. Uh, in terms of this week, uh, we have continued to uh, work with our, our clients on training, executive coaching, and some of the other things that we're doing to really create accountability, Tommy, and I'm just uh, delighted by that. Uh, we were talking this week, we did a session on empathic leadership and psychological safety. And so we had a chance to open up with Brene Brown and talking about vulnerability, man. And some of the executives, believe it or not, had, had never really heard of Brene ba uh, Brown and the concept of uh, making yourself vulnerable as a leader actually is a sign of strength and not a sign of weakness. And so they were pleased to hear about that. Talking about empathic leadership, the importance of, uh, of empathy uh, in the times that we're living in right now, Tommy, I don't know if there could be a leadership skill that's any more important than uh, in, uh, empathic leadership. And so I was talking to them about that. And then uh, psychological safety, uh, doing some coaching with one of the leaders that uh, has come up uh, again and again and again as a, as a person that has uh, significant uh, challenges, increased challenges for others, had a chance to do some executive coaching with him. And Tommy, I actually spent uh, an entire hour just talking to him about himself, his upbringing, his family, 
and learned so much about that, about him through that, that helped to make his behaviors in the workplace make more sense. Sometimes, Tommy, we are, uh, oftentimes we are a reflection of our environment and, yeah. and our parents and how we grew up. And this particular gentleman talked about, you know, uh, his dad being a, a person that uh, led with a, a, a philosophy of uh, my children, you will fear me first, then respect me, and then understand that uh, I love you. Fear, respect, then love. Wow. And so you can see how that could play itself out in the workplace. And so uh, just uh, unpacking those things is, is really uh, been uh, been valuable. And then this whole notion of psychological safety, Tommy, I think it's so important for us to talk about that. Having the the, the ability to bring your, uh, your genuine, your true and authentic self to work is so important, uh, you know, as we look at the workplace. And I think that in our conversation today, maybe we can talk about psychological safety, both in the workplace, in our communities, and in our families, because I think all, uh, all three of those areas, it's an important thing for us to consider. Yeah, Eric, I think it's, it's a timely conversation, again, inviting our audience and our, our community to join in the conversation, share your thoughts, your insights, your experience in this space. Uh, as you were sharing, Eric, uh, I was reminded of, of uh, I came into the office a couple of weeks ago and my administrator, uh, Ms. Keith, who does a phenomenal job in the office, um, she's she's outstanding actually right um and so she was you know i was zipping past her her workspace and uh, uh typically there's some music playing which i i enjoy right uh, this time it was someone was talking but she wasn't on the phone okay and and uh you know i paused for a moment because i recognized the voice and it was the voice of uh the the rapper actor uh mogul will smith uh-huh and i paused i said uh what are you listening to so well i'm listening to an audio book of uh on will smith his book will mm -hmm. it is a must listen to or must read wow it talks about how he protected psychology his psych his psyche uh his psyche how he protected it over the years. Mm. Part of it, he spent a lot of his book talking about his father. Right. Your point, right? And so I have listened to maybe five or six chapters now. It's an it's an easy listen to, especially if it's an audio book. You can get it free at the library, or you can go online. And uh, there's there are a couple of you know on YouTube full editions. Eric. Um, you know, those who are in the limelight, in front of audiences, in front of screens, up right. on stages, right. oftentimes people don't really know the behind the scenes things that right. are happening with one's own self or their family, et cetera. And so Will, that this book and Will Smith really talks about this. And I'm looking at the definition of psychological safety, Eric, I wanted you to kind of kick us off in some of this conversation. Uh, psychological safety in the workplace, the ability be, to be your true and authentic self in the workplace. You also talk about, you know, fear is the enemy. It freezes initiative, it, it, it ties up creativity, it yields compliance, 
instead of commitment and represses what would otherwise be an explosive or an explosion of innovation. Right. Right. Talk to us this morning, Eric. You know what? What? Yeah. What is this? Is a this is a big area for me, Tommy? Because uh, I see it being uh, a, a, an area that people miss so often. I I've seen it first in sports, uh, and I, I do a lot of coaching uh, of sports teams. Uh, this ring you'll you you'll remember that I wear this championship ring is from uh, Lakota West girls basketball team. Uh, the coach there, Andy Fishman, asked me to join his coaching staff to coach him. And we literally transformed his style from one where he led through fear and intimidation to one that he led through respect and empowerment. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, I said, man, I, you know, I don't want to do this. You know, coaches are arrogant. You know, they don't listen very well. So he asked me and I turned him down several times. And finally, I said, I'll do it for a year. And uh, and literally. You know, when you're an elite girls team, you're blowing out the competitors, man. And you only have, you know, three or four games the whole year that you are competitive. And so we blew this team out one time and uh, the girls didn't play especially well. And he asked me after the game, he says, Eric, well, you know, what happened? I said, well, he said, I don't understand these girls sometimes. I said, well, I know what happened. It was you. Like mm -hmm. you, you were like a Tasmanian devil, man, you know. Uh, and, and, and so we laughed and joked about, you know, he didn't take his medicine uh, for ADD. He said, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll take it tomorrow. But the thing is, I'll tell you, Tommy, that I told him, I said, do you remember when Lexi missed that layup right in front of the bucket? It's not because she couldn't hit a layup. You were yelling at her about which way her feet were pointed. And that got his attention. And he said, wow, Eric, I, I told him one time, I, I said, we were playing one of the best defensive teams in the state. I said, I want you to look at that bench. I said, we scouted all those girls. I said, they don't have a, a player on their team that can shut our kids down as effectively as you can. And he looked at me like shocked uh, because he didn't fully realize that a coach's uh, temperament, a coach's behavior, uh, the learning environment will impact uh, the performance of athletes. And so when we talk about uh, removing fear, that, that fear is the enemy, it freezes initiative. Uh, it, you know, it, it ties up our creativity. It locks us up. And a lot of times people think that they want fear in their environment. My people fear me. So they're every time I come around, you know, they're busy. Well, you've probably locked up their brain around creativity. Uh, that girl, Lexi, that missed the layup in year one and year three, and we were in the state finals. Uh, she comes down the court. She's a, uh, one of our bigger players, but a great dribbler because Andy Fishman is one of the best teachers in the in the country around skills. And this girl comes down in the open floor. An elite guard tries to steal it from her. She had it in her right hand. She threw it behind her back to her left hand. Another guard tries to cut her off. She takes it from her left hand, puts it in her right hand, and spins it off the glass. Mm. The only way, that uh, Tommy, that you can do that as you've been set free here. Yes. You've been liberated in your mind. You are no longer afraid of making mistakes. If I make a mistake, hey, my coach is going to support me because I, I know that kids are already beating themselves up. So I think, Tommy, this, this notion of creating psychological safety is powerful and it leads to performance. Uh, and so uh, I'll talk a bit about the, the, the four stages of, uh, of uh, psychological safety, but let me pause there. Yeah, Eric, again, thank you for sharing that story and staying in the same vein of, of athletics. 
uh, and psychological safety. Uh, as you know, I enjoy baseball, I coach baseball. And uh, last year, we had a decent season during the season. We, we did well enough to make it into the, the playoffs, the postseason. And as we were going into the postseason, I had realized something very quickly that the other teams that we had played in the regular season had added players to their teams for the postseason. Oh, okay. And, and, and we didn't do that. We right. Had the same 13 players. And these other players, these other teams had now, you know, 15, 16 players. And some of them, five or six of those players, now starters, were brand new. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, we have a pitcher. I'm going to call him out because I love him to death. Uh, my, my pitcher, a redhead. His name is Luke, right? Luke is a, a pure athlete. He's very good. He is a he's a bucking Bronco. Okay. Right. And and a lot of people, uh, well, they tell me they can't handle him, but I have no problem with Luke at all. He's a he's a a, a horse. And Eric, I learned in coaching him, you got to let horses run. Right. You got to let them run. Right. You bottle them up. You stable them up. Right. They they just kick the cages. Right. right? So we had this one game. Uh, he's in the. This is in the playoffs. We are in the playoffs in a tightly fought game, and Eric, there's some shenanigans with the umpires and the other team, right? Uh, and I see it. I know what's going on. And all of a sudden, the umpire is starting to to call these bad calls on 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 Luke, who's pitching. I don't even think it's real. I don't think it's facts, right? So I yell at the umpire a little bit, right? Right, and and I see Luke, he's a redhead. His hair is on fire, right? You hear me, Eric? And so I see my player, who's getting emotionally distraught, right? Because what the umpire is saying is not right, right? right? They're they're cheating us, Eric. They're right, absolutely. So I call a timeout. I go out to to the uh, uh to the mound because the umpires have said that that luke has thrown too many pitches for the the game because we have a pitch limit right and so he says oh he's at his pitch limit he needs to come out of the game oh my right. and i talked to my statistician no 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 he has about 15 more pitches basically three more batters two right more batters. so i call a timeout wait a minute i go out luke uh you know, the umpire say, you know, you had the pitch count. We're going to have to take you out. He throws his hands up. I'm looking right at him. And nobody can really hear him but me. He throws his hands up. Hey, are you going to believe them or believe us? Mm. That's what my 13-year-old, 14-year-old player said. Right. Eric, I heard him loud and clear because I didn't believe them. Right. And he was telling me. Let me go. Are you going to believe them? I'm like, okay, look. I don't know what the pitch count is now, right? But I'm going to give you one, two more batters. You strike everybody out. And I'm looking at him like this. He always wore his hat, hat cocked to the side. Ready right. To go, right. He was right. cold with it, right? Right. And he just looked down. And when I knew he, when I knew when he looked down, get out the way, coach. He was digging in, Eric. Okay. 
that psychological safety that he had for me and then right. I had for him. Right. Here's why it was so profound, Eric. Because uh, unfortunately, uh, throughout the course of this, the season and the season before, his father was battling with cancer. Mm -hmm. And his father was in the later stages of cancer mm. time of this game. His father has since passed on. And so as I continue to coach with, uh, with Luke in that game and afterwards, it was to prepare him psychologically wow. to deal with what I had also dealt with with the passing of a father due to cancer. Right, wow. So I was looking at this boy like, it's not about baseball, son. Right. Right. You're psychologically safe with me. Right. Right. So your story triggered my story and want to kind of keep talking about the levels of psychological safety. That's powerful. I'm going to take just a, a brief detour to add something to what you did there as well. So we talked about empathic leadership and the three types of empathy. There's cognitive empathy. That's sort of knowing that's knowing what people are going through. That's the, the perspective taking or the perspective getting. Uh, the Japanese talk about Genji Genbutsu, go and see. Uh, then there's the emotional empathy. That's where you're feeling what someone is feeling. Uh, and, and, and then there's the compassionate empathy. That's when you get in it with them. Tommy, and that as I listen to your story, uh, you, you, you understood what he was going through, the knowledge of it. Uh, you could feel uh, emotionally you, you had empathy because you had just you lost your father from cancer as well. And then compassionately, you were able to get right in that with him. And I talk about, uh, you know, when my dad died and my mother had a nervous breakdown, uh, a Mrs. Goins uh, uh, came over our house and sat with my mother and really almost just took over the house. Uh, so it's important to bring uh, empathy to uh, situations that we're in and then create the kind of environment where there's that kind of psychological safety where you and your player are one, that they feel safe. They know they can trust you. As we look at the four stages of psychological safety, it really falls in line with human needs. Humans need to be included. Humans need an opportunity to learn. Uh, humans want opportunities to contribute. And then when humans see things not going well, sometimes they want to be able to challenge. When they see things that we're doing are not going well, they want to be able to challenge uh, the way that we're doing things so that we might consider going a different direction. And so those are the four stages of inclusion that you want to have uh, sort of inclusion safety. That might mean, Tommy, if uh, I'm a new employee, I'm coming to a company, I go into the cafeteria and somebody that I, I met in orientation, but they've been there for a while, they're determining if they're going to invite me over to their table, you know, with their, with their crew, uh, with their uh, silo, their, their friends, their clique, if you will. And oftentimes, if I don't feel like they're really inviting me over, I don't feel safe. And so I had to literally go find a table all by myself. And so I think that people are looking for inclusion, safety. I'll go through these and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a, a break and talk about them. Because, Tommy, 
Well, let's just talk about them one at a time. Tommy, I think that that's the big thing with uh, diverse candidates is wondering if I'm going to be able to be included. I don't know about you, Tommy, but in my past, I've been a part of groups where I didn't feel that inclusion safety. I remember even going to the restroom or going to the basement uh, to just hide out for a while mm -hmm. because it took too much energy to try to, you know, go up to groups that weren't really interested in me, uh, you know, entering and being a part of that. That can be quite exhausting, can it? It can absolutely be exhausting, Eric. And that psychological impact is <clears throat> there are neural waves that trans uh, transform and, and transmit from person to person. It's energy. Mm. And so although there may be a intention of inclusion, the energy is exclusion. In other words, I can go into a place that I've been hired in and I deserve to be there because I went through the recruiting and hiring and interviewing right. process. And so I get there and you know I, I work to get there, but I feel like an outsider right uh, and it's not just it's not that someone said you're an outsider or they haven't called me over it's a reverberating energy in my psyche that maybe i'm reminded based on some other experiences or the the moment at hand right it, it's any time that you and i and others we go into a new place right like this past this week when I show up in my new location, I've never been to Durango, right? My psyche, my spidey sense was firing on all cylinders. And for two days, I did not see anyone that looked like me. Right. Wow. Right. A black male. So that wasn't the exclusion. It was my antennas, right? Of feeling psychologically safe right. and so it can be race or ethnicity or it can be gender it can be just feeling you know do i feel safe if that's not happening then oftentimes uh, we do have to you know fall back and recluse into the basement into our own comforts of uh, places of worship or our own homes or even we run back to the car before and after work right just to feel safe to right music right things like that, to soothe that energy of anxiousness. Right. So that's that's my experience as well. Right. And I would say to Tommy uh, that uh, it's quick for us to sometimes think about this purely across race yeah. or across gender. And I would say to you that it happens within races. It happens within genders. Uh, I, I believe that in churches, unfortunately, uh, so often we, you know, we're supposed to be operating uh, for us that are Christians, uh, you know, to be Christ like. And yet you'll find uh, special groups and you'll find people that can go to the back with the pastor and, and his, uh, you know, friends after a service or in families. Tommy, how lonely can it be if if people aren't feeling that inclusion safety as a part of their family? And I'm going to tell you that it doesn't you don't have to be. Uh, evil to be excluding uh, people, uh, but 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 that that's painful for people to try to encounter, have to encounter. I'll jump in real quick, Eric, as you continue. No, and it, it, it struck a nerve with me there. So 
So I'm I'm an introvert, and everything that I do is extrovertedly. Right. Everything I do, from golfing to speaking right. to the work. Uh, but I I enjoy literally my own time or a small group of one or two, right, to gain energy. So when I in, in a previous time when I was going to a different church, I would I would wake up in the morning, get ready, and be be laser focused on receiving the word of God. Right. Right. Almost selfishly receiving the word of God so that I can do work for other people. Right. That's Not right. Energy in me. So my idea was I would go to church, you know, fall into the middle or to the back of the pews. Right. Uh, and, you know, crack open my Bible and uh, and go to work. Right. Allow the word to go to work on me. Right. Mm. And I will be very emotional. I'll be happy. I'll be, Amen. I'll be crying. I'll, I'll be going right. through all that. And I just need to be in my own praise and worship. Right. But this one particular church would not allow people to sit where they wanted to sit. Mm. So when you came in, they ushered you right into like a like a herd of cattle. Right. Right into the pews. Right. And so sometimes you're sitting next to a senior citizen sometimes you're sitting next to a toddler right and all kinds of stuff right so you're shoulder to shoulder you know feet to feet and i was in there like i'm uncomfortable right this is not the experience i signed up for no because i know when i start to hear the word of god i'm gonna i'm gonna need to release and i don't need anyone to say it's okay brother it's okay right praise god Right. I know that I'm coming to get him. Right. Right. And so I had to, after several months, I had to make a decision. Right. Like, I don't feel included. Right. And then sometimes I don't feel like I'm in the right click or right. I don't know what the ulterior motive is. I don't know if everyone is here to get the, the word of God like I am. Right. But again, I'm not bashing any. Right. Which I'm no. That's real. The place that I thought was going to be inclusive, right? I felt, uh, not included and maybe not even psychologically safe. Right, right. Uh, uh, thank you for sharing that, uh, Tommy. The, the the next stage is uh, sort of safety to learn, and I would say that. So when you're uh, coming to a workplace, uh, you're looking around to see who that organization is investing in. Uh, who are they investing their resources in? Who are they paying for their education to go back to school? Who is the uh, the the, the uh, vice presidents? Who are the managers? Who are they teaching? Uh, because and and so what we want to do is create environments where uh, people are free to learn. And sometimes when we see people learning. In, in unsafe environments, we shut that down. Just like in slavery, we took books away from people so that they could remain ignorant, so that people could then control them. Uh, oftentimes, if we're not careful, Tommy, uh, we shun people from uh, having that safety to learn. And I think that that is so critical for uh, people in the workplace. Part of psychological safety is evidenced by that learner safety. Uh, the third stage is uh, contribution safety. In other words, that you are safe 
to be able to contribute your best work to the organization. And I find that a lot of times uh, uh, organizations, it's, it's really a loss to that organization if you're not creating the kind of environment where people can learn, uh, where they can contribute their best to the bottom line. Uh, at the end of the day, that's what inclusion is about, is being able to tap into the talent, skill, ability, potential of the people that are within the organization. So psychological safety, the third uh, stage of psychological safety is contributor safety. That when people are contributing, they feel like that's welcome. Uh, sometimes you'll see in organizations where some certain people, uh, you know, make comments and they're celebrated and others make comments and they're uh, overlooked and ignored. One of the patterns that I've seen in organizations over the last 30 years is that when women, for example, in male dominated environments make uh, suggestions, uh, you know, the, the person leading the meeting just sort of said, and literally, you know, a minute later, a guy uh, offer the same point and it'd be celebrated by their boss. Uh, when you are not creating safety for the contributor, uh, then, uh, you know, you're, you're creating, you're driving fear into them. Uh, you are creating exclusion and you're harming the organization in many ways. Uh, and then the fourth stage of uh, uh, psychological safety is sort of a safety to challenge the status quo. And so, uh, man, uh, I want to have that in my environment. I need to have that in my environment. Uh, I, I'm, I'm giving this uh, information from a book that Dr. Reggie Crane shared with me, which was uh, uh, Psychological Safety uh, and the Four Stages of Psychological Safety by Timothy Clark. And so I've just really enjoyed, uh, Tommy, going back through that uh, material, man, and they've posed some questions that we need to consider, uh, and I'll share those in just a minute. I did go through the uh, the four stages, Tommy. I don't know if you want to say anything about learner safety or contributor safety or uh, safety to uh, challenge the status quo. Yeah, I, I would say, Eric, I, I was lost there for a moment. My uh, disconnect, right. no problem there. Right. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm curious, from your perspective, of the four areas, uh, in your professional or even personal life, uh, which which area are you, you know, finding the most need to work in, uh, and 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 how are you going about kind of doing the work of that safety in that area? Right. So so I, I believe that all of them are, uh, are are critical, but I think it all starts with inclusion safety, that people have to be feel safe that they are being included. Tommy, simply because of who they are, mm. you're breathing, you're alive, you're a part of this organization. Hey, welcome. Yeah, yeah. You know, we want to make sure that you are included. And I find that a lot of times that's where organizations are missing the target right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so as well. In your, in your coaching, your executive coaching, Eric, do you, uh, how do you leverage, you know, psychological psychological safety, uh, and and not only even before you leveraging, you know, this knowledge, how is it showing up from other people? Because I would imagine that people are not just coming up front like, "Hey, I'm just I'm just feeling unsafe," right? Right. 
I think through through their narratives, through their stories that may be coming up, what have you been experiencing with coaching? Well, let's just go with some of the things that we're trying to do. So, you know, you and I both do research within organizations, Tommy. Yeah. Uh, we both do uh, cultural assessments. And so what I have found, Tommy, is that a lot of times people don't feel safe being honest on those surveys. And so for me, one of the most important things for me, I get so excited about surveys and focus groups, man, because I'm saying, hey, we're about to hear from the people. And I believe that when people give you feedback, man, that's like gold. It's literally like them giving you gold. In my own organization, I, I see people's insights as gold. And so what I know is I don't want to do anything to shut down or discourage people from giving me their most authentic uh, feedback. If they're just giving me words, Tommy, that yeah. can't help me at all. Right. And it leads me down the wrong road. So one of the things that I've done with our companies is I've gone above and beyond, man, to try to overstate the point of how you are, your information is going to be confidential. Nobody will see your individual information. Tommy, I've done videos on it. I've done <laughs> videos where I've sort of, you know, drove home the point, you know, uh, about, you know, call me. Here's mm -hmm. my email address. If you have any concern, this is not your company. This is not your boss uh, doing this sur survey. We are a third party. Yeah. And so I really go above and beyond, Tommy. And it takes that and more, man, because what I hear from people, Tommy, is that they just don't trust the system. Right. Uh, they really believe mm -hmm. that uh, their, their leader is going to be looking over their information exactly. Uh, they oftentimes don't trust HR, unfortunately, yeah. uh, to protect them. And, and uh, you know, I was in an organization one time, Tommy, and, uh, you know, I had been doing training with all the employees and I'd be giving feedback to the leaders. And finally, I did a session with the leaders. This was, I was young, you know, it's probably 20 years ago. Uh, I did a session with the executives. They said, Eric, if our people won't, uh, tell us the issues. There's no way that we can address them. Mm. They said, I think you got to start telling the people that they've got to be bold enough, you know, to come forward and share those issues with us, not just with you, the outside consultant. And I was young, man, and green. Yeah. Tommy, I said, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do that. And so in the next session, man, I'm out here in the, in, in the community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the next session, uh, Tommy, I'll never forget, I, you know, we we're talking and the, and the employees were raising issues. And I said, well, hold on a minute. I said, I just did a session with the executives. And they said that they don't feel like it's fair, you know, for, for, for you to be raising the issues with me if you're not willing to raise them uh, internally with them who can do something about it. So I said, I, I'm going to have to tell you, I'm going to push back on you all a little bit this time and suggest that if you're not willing to take these issues to the leaders, then uh, I don't think you uh, should expect change to occur. And man, I felt good about myself. I had really, you know, mm. been direct and, uh, and, and uh, you know, open with them. And then I called a break. Mm. And this woman comes up to me and she says, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. She says, I'm really enjoying this workshop. She says, but I can't do what you said. Mm. She says, uh, you don't know my boss. She says, I'm a single mom of three kids. She says, and my boss, he's unbridled. 
He fires whoever he wants to. And there's nobody to stop that. She said, so I don't believe that I'm going to be following that instruction. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I realized in that moment, Tommy, that I was literally as a consultant riding in on a white horse. Yeah. Dropping off a message and I'd be riding out of there. Yeah. And so often these people have to live in these environments, Tommy, where they have unsafe bosses. Uh, and I think that people you can get compliance from fear, mm -hmm. but you can't get performance. Uh, you can't get collaboration. You can't get total excellence out of fear. So psychological safety is about driving fear out. I'll say one other thing. This book says that that innovation occurs when you increase sort of intellectual friction and decrease social friction. And so, man, when I read that, I said, oh, my goodness, that's so profound that you want people to have the freedom to bring forth challenging ideas. And so the only way that I can really ensure that that will occur, Tommy, is if I bring down the social. And what I have found mm -hmm. is that when I'm in a situation, somebody's saying something and everything in, wants me, everything in me wants to react, Tommy. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, it sparked an emotion in me. And I want to just almost start arguing. Mm -hmm. I go right to empathic listening. Because what I've discovered is that if I don't go to, let me see if I'm understanding what you're saying. What it does is it settles me. It disarms that negativity and defensiveness. And it signals to the person that I'm not interested in fighting, that I'm interested in making sure that I understand what they're saying. Yeah, Eric, yeah, Eric. This is this is a good topic, um, and I and I know there may be an opportunity for us to invite a uh, a studied, learned expert in the space of you know mental health, psychology, right. and sociology. That's that. This is an opportunity. But as we're having this conversation, it's having the conversation from some knowledge, some reading, some right. research. It's also having this conversation through the lens of how we interact with human beings. That's right. And so that's the kind of the practicum. That's the real life experience. And then we are engaging in this conversation through the lens of our own journey. Right. Right. And so as I'm listening to you and I'm seeing my own journey in what you are saying, um, I realize that <clears throat> for myself, even on this particular trip and other trips, that I, I don't know if it's a skill and I, or I don't know if it's just self-preservation. I go through a process to become more psychologically safe. Mm -hmm. And again, I refer to Will Smith, where in his book, he talked about for a, a long period of time of his life from middle school into the time that he was making records into the movies that he had always created these fictitious environments mm. to protect himself right of course and so a lot of people when he was younger would say will is never serious right he's always joking he's always doing all that he was he was protecting his psyche mm. based on his father's dogmatism fear conflict right 
order. His father was former military who just decided I'm not going to do the military anymore. Wow. And so as I look at myself and engaging in spaces and places, Eric, that I, I truly feel uncomfortable until I feel comfortable. But at the time, I'm uncomfortable psychologically. Right. And I may go into my toolkit of, you know, uh, of, of, you know, icebreaker activities or, you know, share with one another, or I go to some proven techniques to help other people feel safe. Right. Because I'm feeling unsafe. Right. Right. And, and so if, when I have to keep doing that, sometimes I, I break down with exhaustion in my attempts to remain psychologically safe. And sometimes that breakdown is in, in the middle of something. Right. Right. I've been in meetings, Eric, where I'm like, <laughs> oh, what's so funny, Tommy? I can't take it anymore. Right. And I, I just stare off in the space like, I I can't, I I hear other people feeling unsafe. I feel unsafe. Right. And I my amygdala wants to fire off, right. fight, freeze, or, or flee. And I want to flee, right? Flee to safety, not flee from the situation. Never scared of that. Just I want to get safe again. Right. Because I'm hearing something that's a that may not be true. I'm I'm hearing something that's different than what I'm seeing, right? And other people too. And it becomes so convoluted, Eric. So I, I want to ask you this. This may help. This will help me. Working with organizations, uh, organizations, uh, organizations in and them in and of themselves is a culture. Yeah. And then you have people who express multiple cultures within that bigger culture. If you ask people, what is the culture of your organization? Right. You may get ten thousand answers. Right. Exactly. Uh, even if it's just a one-person operation, right? Right. So <clears throat> my question is, for those individuals who are historically and almost systemically uh, subjugated to the microaggressions, the microassaults, and other psychological impacts on their being such that they constantly live in doubt, fear, and skepticism. Mm -hmm. How do we begin to move those people into empathetic listening, as well as those who are privileged by the power of the system, right? And don't even know. They just privileged by the power. They just, right? So how do we really make that connection through empathy, through understanding, and not just tokenism or you know check the box oneisms? How do we do that? Well, I would say, Tommy, uh, you know, so 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 it depends on what side of the uh, table you're on. If you're on the receiving side, in other words, you're receiving an environment that's unsafe. I, I really believe that, Tommy, what happens in our minds sometimes is we get paralyzed by the notion that I have no options. 
And so what I would say is one of the reasons why you perpetually want to be sharpening your saw and strengthening your skill set is so that you don't become a victim of unsafe, unhealthy environments and feeling as though you have no options. So once you prepare yourself, especially in this uh, economy right now, and there are jobs everywhere. And so you have to you have to liberate your mind from uh, the chains of I don't have any options, uh, because if this is harming your mind, then staying there is only going to further that. So you, you've got to you know go for what you think is the nuclear option. Sometimes you got to leave. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes you got to go up the ladder and see if there's anybody that's listening, anybody that has the ability to have an impact on that uh, individual. You know, my wife has had those experiences where she endured, she endured, she endured. And before she sort of walked, she went up to a senior vice president at that time years ago. And that person was grateful to hear from her. What she shared had reinforced messages that he heard from many other people. And so they took an action against uh, him, and uh, and then she uh, she uh, moved up and was successful, moved to a different area. So that's one one side of it. Tommy, if you are the person that's doing that, I think that you have to be number one. You have to be curious. Mm-hmm. I think that all people, all human beings, must recognize that we are imperfect. So all of us have flaws. And so what I need to do, Tommy, is come into situations listening. And anytime there is a criticism about me, anytime another employee has to bring something to me that uh, that employee couldn't bring themselves, I have to use all of that as evidence that I've got to do some, I got to make some changes so that people can feel safer, uh, you know, uh, being transparent and honest. The other thing that I do, Tommy, is I will go to my people and I will share mistakes that I've made, things that I've done that have made a mess of the workplace. And then I'll ask them, oh, my God, I did this. It created problems between the two of you. That's not on you. That was on me. Are there other dumb things like that that I do? And so you have to be uh, have enough confidence, enough humility. Mm. Tommy, to uh, to begin to search for what are the impacts, what are the ways that I'm negatively impacting other people's ability to contribute. When somebody, last word on this, Tommy, when I have staff members that don't deliver what I was expecting, you know where I go first? I go first to me, man. Oh, Honestly, yeah. every time, man. Uh, suddenly, I, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Let me be transparent. My brain sometimes goes to them. Yeah. My brain goes to them. I can't, darn it. I can't never get. But I've, I've trained myself and I've learned over the years, Tommy, that most often I'm the culprit. I asked them for something on the fly. I didn't really detail out what I needed. We didn't get a chance to talk it through fully. And so when they came back with something that was, uh, was off, slightly off, or off in a major way, that uh, most often it has to has more to do with the way the message was communicated and did they have enough information than it did on their incompetence. Mm. And as I've changed, then people are willing to say, no, 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 that's not on you. I understand. And so they're willing to own their stuff 
if they see you practicing owning your stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good word, Eric. Uh, I appreciate you laying that out. And I'm certain that there are people that are listening and watching uh, from both sides, right? Uh, if not simultaneously, right? We, yeah. So right. it's not just we're we're always the one receiving, you know, kind of the, the the oppression of these psychological impacts, and it's not that we're always in power of influence. I think holistically, to your point, um, that there are there are tools and techniques to listen to others, to listen to ourselves, and then ultimately create a pathway, a, a process, a next steps toward mutual beneficial resolution. Right. Or Tommy, right. Tommy, let me give these four questions yep. that Timothy Clark offered that we should ask ourselves. Yep. His first question is, do you welcome others? Do you accept them in your society simply because they possess flesh and blood, even if their values different from your own? So that's the first question that you want to ask about inclusion safety. Now, question number two, without bias or discrimination, do you encourage others to learn and to grow? Do you support them in that process, even when they lack confidence or make mistakes? Uh, so that's, that's sort of learner safety. Third question. Uh, do you grant others maximum autonomy to contribute in their own way as they demonstrate their ability to deliver results? Man, that's huge. Maximum autonomy to contribute in their own way. The fourth and final question, do you consistently invite others to challenge the status quo in order to make things better? Uh, and are you personally prepared to be wrong based on the humility and learning mindset that you have developed. Wow. That is from Timothy Clark. What book is that from again? Right. That is his uh, Four Stages of Psychological Safety. Yep. Dr. Yep. Reggie Crane had introduced it, uh, me to it. And uh, I, I just find so many nuggets in there, Tommy. I mean, it's so many nuggets, man, of stuff that he has said in here that I thought was, uh, let me just read this last part by Tommy because yeah, it's absolutely. so powerful. Exclusion is not rooted in our biology. It is the adoration of power and destination, insecurity and ordinary selfishness that lead us to partition ourselves. As humans, we look for loyalty to attach to. Out of attachment emerge our divisions. Out of divisions emerge our classes, ranks and situations and stations. It is those spaces between us that uh, comparison begins. The, uh, the, then empathy flees, the fear and envy emerge, the conflict arises. I mean, he's just really talking about what happens to us, how we get to this place of psychologically being unsafe. It's not in our biology. In our biology is we need each other. But if we're not careful, man, we get caught up in these silos and then we start building stories and narratives that tie us more closely to others and then cause us to sort of judge others. And then uh, creating unsafe behaviors is the way that we try to control people and keep them marginalized. Yeah, Eric, this is a, a I would think it's a must read 
for, for all of our uh, community members. Um, and, and like I alluded to earlier, uh, now for the third time with the Will Smith, uh, it is a book and there are always options for audio books. Damn, so those, that's right. Yeah, for those who, who are on the run, in airports, in cars, on buses and other transportation, or just needing to multitask right. in their workspaces, you know, doing the data entry, doing the mundane, that that kind of that background noise should be something that our psyche can pick up and listen to, right? And what I found is in my work, I always listen to some ambient noises, music, you know, and it's amazing how I could be working on something and my psyche hears something and it gets my attention. And then I will focus to that. And, and you're more of a, 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 a musician uh, in musicology than I am, but that that hits a chord with my psyche, my energy, which brings my attention to listening for that 30 seconds or 10 minutes for that particular uh, piece of, of mu <clears throat> excuse me, of music. So I would like to invite folks that listen to an audio book. Uh, some of the music, it, it goes in, it may be sticking, but then there's something that's said that resonates. And then now we have to rewind and focus, right? Rewind and focus. That is, that is disruptive behavior. That's excellent. That's disruptive behavior. So we're always surrounded by the noise of reality, the noise of life the noise of business, what resonates in that noise that gets your attention? Mm. It may be dis it may be injustice. It may be bigotry. It may be unfairness. It may be a system of inequality. The question is, what resonates in the noise of life and business that has you say, pause, rewind, let us all listen to this, mm. right? And that, and, and I'm, I'm learning this from talking with you, Eric, and it's very helpful for me. And Tommy, I would say, man, just listening to you there, it reminds me of this, that oftentimes when we're in a world that's so polarized and divided and we're hearing all these crazy messages, if we're not careful, there's a knee-jerk reaction. We'll find ourselves reacting and trying to meet uh, uh, hatred, uh, mean-spiritedness, we try to match that. And what I've tried to do on my good days, Tommy, on my good days, <laughs> I really try to return that craziness with something positive. In other words, I refuse to play along with you and just get in that ditch and in that fight because I see that you're looking for it. What I've discovered, Tommy, is sometimes when you avoid the fight, what you find is that it wasn't about you anyway. Yes. Oh. That they snapped at you, but it wasn't about you. This was about all the stress that's building up in their lives. Mm. And they've got one more thing that somebody asked them to do. And now they're spent. And so they're just jacking up the next person that comes their way. And what I have found, Tommy, on my good days, is that when I meet that frustration and that anger with love, peace, and calmness, they'll oftentimes apologize and say, oh my goodness, this wasn't about you. I'm so sorry. 
I've just had a bad day. It's been a tough week actually for me. And you know what I'm able to say? Hey, I understand. That's no problem at all. Tommy, I'll say one last thing about where I'm at. I came to Charlotte, uh, North Carolina to uh, work on uh, buying a significant company. I've been talking to you about it. not going to say anything publicly about it yet, but uh, went super, super, super well, man. God was with us. And I'm here in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I came here. I haven't been here since my brother died a couple of years ago. And I came here to uh, see my nephews and to let them know that their uncle uh, loves them and cares for them. So I just want you to remember uh, my nephews in prayer, man. I'm just grateful to be here to, to tell them I love them. Amen. Amen. Eric, thank you, Eric. Uh, thank you, community. Uh, Brother Harrison joining us, you know, he, he chimed in early and others that are listening. Uh, for those on the West Coast to the East Coast and around the world, I want to thank you for joining. And I would like to close out because typically Eric closes out. But, uh, and so I would like to say thank you for my brother, Eric Ellis. And we look forward to seeing you on the next next edition of Diversity Conversations. Excellent. Take care. Take care. Take care.